Listen, it is good to be here um, and be talking about, uh, continue as we study in the book of uh, Romans, um, what we're going to be talking about this morning. You can see the uh, title of the sermon this week is Responding to God's Kindness, Part 2. So we talked about Part 1 last week, uh, which focused on uh, the fact, remember this? Y'all remember this? All right, God. We, we have our sin, we have God's kindness, and that is intended to draw us and lead us into repentance. And instead, that's us down there doing everything but repenting, is what he was saying. Uh, and he was talking about this character uh, known as the moralist. Um, one that, uh, you know, he, he appears good or she appears good, but they tend to judge, be super critical of others. We might call them hypocrites or self-righteous people who think they have it together. Um, and so we, we talked last week about the wrong way to respond to God's kindness, that he's calling us into repentance, uh, and instead we go that way. Well, this, this week we want to talk about, well, what about when, for those of us that are authentic, true believers, that God has got a hold of our heart and we've given him our heart, not just our, uh, our, our religion and our practices, we've given him our heart, what does that mean uh, for us? And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, I would title this sermon, maybe if it wasn't just part two, we'd title it Doing, uh, doing Good. And not like, how you doing? I'm doing good. Not like that. We're talking about doing good. Because that's what he's going to talk about uh, 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 in this, this short passage. You may see that we've slowed down a little bit on the number of verses we're taking each week. Um, because there's so much depth here that I, I don't want to take a chapter at a time. We've got to take a few verses at a time. And dig into it, and that's what we're doing. Um, years and years ago, uh, back in high school, that was now 20 years ago. 20th uh, reunion is coming up next year. Um, I started uh, started playing the piano when I was a freshman. Well, the summer year between eighth grade and and my freshman year of high school, and uh, I started. Um, by the time I was a junior, you know, I'd just fallen in love with it. I was playing in a band. I was playing in church. I was doing a little bit of everything. And uh, I started playing weddings, and, and uh, it, it just became something all summer long, the summer between my junior and senior year. I don't know how many weddings I played. It was two or three a month, but, man, I could play Wind Beneath My Wings. Y'all remember that? Uh, what was that Allison Krauss song? She had a song that everybody did. When You Say Nothing at All, Every Wedding had that song. Canon and D, you know, all the bridesmaids walked in. Yeah, I got to where I could almost, uh, you know, direct a wedding. I went to so many rehearsals, and um, and you know, there the day of, and uh, and it was just, uh, it, was, it was one of those things. But you know, I would typically get paid because I would be producing, I'd be doing some type of work. You know, you remember my story. The first one I ever did, it was one of my teachers, and you know, I asked my piano teacher at the time, I was like, how much do you charge for weddings? Just granted, he'd been doing it like 10 years, and this was my first one, and I charged what he charged, and because she was my teacher, she said, sure, I think it was like $200, and uh, I was like, this is all right, you know, one Saturday, about two hours worth of work, making $200, I'll do this, um, but I, I played one eventually, and, uh, and, and something happened, I played the wedding, and usually they would have an envelope or something, you know, sitting on the piano, or they'd get me a card, with, you know, with a, a check in it or payment, and all of a sudden, I played one, and it was for a friend of a friend, and, you know, 
you know, I was just like, just pay me whatever. I didn't even really set a price. I think he said he was going to pay me $80 maybe. And, um, and there was no card at the end. And uh, so I was just like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll get that, that later. Um, and I remember thinking, well, I've done this work, but I didn't get paid. You ever, you ever had something you've done and you didn't get recompense for it? My papa had a saying, he used to say, I'd rather owe it to you than cheat you out of it. Let that sit in for a second. You know, if, if, if they just say, well, I owe you all the time, then that's not cheating you, right? I still owe it to you. I didn't cheat you out of it. Um, but I just kind of let that slide. He was already gone. You know, it's crazy after a wedding. Anybody been married before? Weddings are crazy right after. So, you know, I wasn't going to be the guy that was like bumping into the reception and like, hey, man, where's my money? Um, so, I, you know, I made my way out. And it honestly went years and years uh, and years, and I, you know, I'd bump into him every now and then, and I never really said anything. And finally, Beth and I, we'd been dating. I was in college. This was years later, and I thought, you know, I'm going to reach out to him and just say, hey, you know, you never paid me uh, for that wedding I played for you. And um, and Beth was like, what are you doing trying to get eighty dollars from somebody owes you three years ago? And we met in the parking lot down at Walmart in Prestonsburg, and you know, he he paid me. This passage. Uh, another potential title could be Payday Someday. Because if you look at verse 6, it says, God will repay each person according to what they have done. And although I didn't get paid the day I provided the service, eventually I did get paid. I was so nice, I didn't charge interest. I'm just kidding. I really didn't. But but here, Paul is saying, and we're going to take just a minute before we get into the three points I have for this message, uh, and, and we're going to take a look at each word in this verse because they are all incredibly important to the truth that applies uh, to our life. But what he is saying is that someday every single person is going to get paid for what you've done. There's going to be a payday someday. And so this morning, we last week was pretty rough, right? We're talking about the, the moralist, the one who had mistaken identity, thought he was a Christian and wasn't. The misunderstanding of who they were, that they weren't the judge, that they are also broken and needed Christ, and that judgment was based on truth, not what the, 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 the mirage they had created in their life to look righteous uh, and their missed opportunity to repent. This week, we're going to look at the joy a Christian can look forward to. And we're going to look at it uh, under three points. But first, we're going to look at this. Let's read these verses, verse 6 through 11, and then let's spend a little time on verse 6, and then we'll get through the message. So God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. This is to the believers in the church at Rome. In verse 8, but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Still a payday. That's to the unbelievers. Verse 9, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, again to the unbelievers. 
Verse 10, he goes back speaking to the believers, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And verse 11, a verse I love to see right now in my life, uh, for God does not show favoritism. He does not show favoritism between Jew or Gentile or between the religious and the non-religious or be- be- between the, the one who gives extra and the one who gives less. He does not show favoritism based on who your family is or who you know. Your parent, your sibling, your spouse can't get you to heaven. He does not show favoritism. Let's spend some time in verse 6. This principle, it starts out with this, this principle. I want to take each word. Not spend a lot of time on each word, but one, we want to understand. First, we see God. This is who's going to make the payment. This is going to who, who is going uh, uh, to repay each person. In this second word, will, we find certainty. Can you just stop there for a minute? This isn't God might. It isn't, it isn't clarified with a will probably. It is God will. And when the Bible says God will do something, you can take to the bank whatever comes after it. And so we find that God's doing this, and then we find this certainty that there is no doubt that he is going to do this. We find the next word, repay. If you go back to the Greek, this literally, uh, this literally meant pay as wages or render or recompense uh, for work that is done. This means that he will repay, he will pay us for what we've done. He will pay us due, just like, you know, I played a wedding uh, and I got paid, just like you go to work and you get paid, that we, he will make payment at some point. Each, this makes it very universal. This isn't just talking about people who've never gone to church. is isn't talking about people who've gone to church. is isn't talking about people in America or, 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 or Africa. It is universally mankind, humankind, ever walk the face of this earth. This is the truth. God will repay each individual person. And then we find according to, which means in direct proportion. In direct proportion to the deeds or to what they have done. When I first started, uh, I used to be a bookkeeper for some time. When I first started keeping books, uh, anybody who's ever kept books or had a small business knows if you're doing payroll, there's two forms you have to fill out to the IRS quarterly, usually. It's called a 940 and 941. And uh, when I first started doing this, I uh, somehow I got those transposed, and I made all the quarterly deposits that were supposed to go to 940 to 941, and they were significantly different, like thousands of dollars different. And I did that for about six months, almost a year. Um, and, and I found out that the IRS keeps very good records. 
And they expect you to keep very good records. That does not compare to the records that God keeps. According to what they have done. He knows every thought, every good deed, every bad deed. I talked last week that there is nothing. that that This is based on absolute reality. Him as judge is all-knowing. There is nothing you can say. There is no way you can hide anything. It is out in the open with him. And he has every record about you. He knows every single detail. We find, I want to share before we get into this, that we will be repaid, that we will come before God at some point. But I want to just share a little bit of background before we get into that. There's really going to be two groups of people who stand before God. The the Bible teaches about two different judgment seats. The great white throne judgment will be for unbelievers. You can find that in Revelation chapter 20 if you want to go read it. You know the story. Uh, they, they, they come before the great white throne judgment. He looks to see if their name is in the book of life. And if their name is not in the book of life, how do you get your name in the book of life? Faith in Jesus Christ. If your name is not there, it says he casts you away from him, separated from God forever. We also find that there is a judgment seat for believers. Romans 14, verse 10, it says, You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with a contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 9 and 10, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So here, here's what I want you to understand. Two things I want you to take away. Uh, one, as a believer, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, when you, you are standing there and you're being just, there's a little verse in Romans that says, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As a believer, you're not going to stand before Christ someday and he's going to recount every failure you ever made. That's not going to, he's not going to point out all the sins you have because your sins are as white as snow. For the believer, you're going to stand before Christ and you're going to be repaid. You're going to be getting paid and you're going to get rewards based on the amount of good you have done. That's what the Bible teaches. As an unbeliever, you are going to stand and be accounted for all the sin and you're going to get punishment according to the evil that you've done. That's where we set the stage. So he says, God will pay each person according to what they have done. It's easy to maybe get into these verses without studying them and, and say, well, he just said faith in Jesus Christ is all that gets you to heaven. And now he's saying everybody's going to get repaid for what they've done. And he basically says, if you've done good, you're going to, do, you're going to get this. And if, you're good, if you've done evil, you've, you're going to get this. But you've got to catch this word that says, by persistence and perseverance is what that's saying. And that is a characteristic of a believer. So you can know that this verse in verse 7 is talking about someone who has already professed faith in Jesus Christ. They are a believer. So I want to look at three things about doing good this morning. Uh, one, the first thing I want us to look at is the approach. 
If you take notes, you can write these down. Uh, approach, ambition, and award. Approach, ambition, and award of doing good. Um, we find it first here the, in, in the, the believer's approach to doing good, two things primarily. One is this idea that I just mentioned, persistence or with patience, perseverance. As Paul said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. That there's this characteristic of a true and authentic believer that perseveres, that pushes through, that that this act of good deeds does not happen on one day and the other six days of the week are, uh, are, are characteristic of evil or not someone who does three months of good things and six months of, you know, uh, of scattered chaos. That once the Holy Spirit has a, a hold of a person inside of you, that there will be consistency in the life that you live. To those who by persistence, so their approach is that they are persistently and consistently uh, doing good things. What does doing mean? I mean, we all know what doing means. The title of the message this morning, I've, I've given you three if you're not confused yet. Wait till I'm finished. Um, doing good, that word doing in the Greek literally means to labor, to toil, and work. Actually, in the Greek, if you got to it, it would say to the point of exhaustion. That their approach is that they are so passionate about doing good that they are consistent in it, they are persistent in it, and they will do it until exhaustion. Uh, this week, Amber and Adam had some uh, uh, dirt poured into their yard, and, and uh, Danny, my father-in-law, rented some type of, I don't know, I call it, uh, what was that thing? A tractor, a backhoe, and was spreading dirt. And uh, Adam was working, and Amber happened to be at home, and so he had her get a shovel and a rake. And I don't know what she did, but when when we got when I got home that evening, she was saying, "I'm dead." I don't know. He put her to work, she said. And so he was he was on the backhoe driving the thing around. She had the the rake and the shovel, and was spreading dirt and had blisters and all that good stuff. Paul says here that when, when Christ gets a hold of us, if we want to know are we authentic believer, once he, we've seen God's kindness and we've responded in repentance, following that comes doing good, consistently good things, consistently that we give up our own self for Christ. You can take from that, um, uh, we used to play this game coming up with new ideas, uh, we'd say the come up with the worst idea. Let's do it for a minute. If we want more people to come to church, what's the worst idea? What's the worst thing we could do? Somebody throw something out. What's the worst thing we could do if we want more people to come to church or, or find, if we want to point more people to Christ, what's the worst thing we could do? Threaten them. That's a good one. All right. That's a bad idea. Everybody agree that's a bad idea. All right. I'm going to write these down. Okay, threaten them. What else we got? I'm going to try to get three or four good, bad ideas. Who's got the worst idea? What could we do? 
Yeah, so uh, maybe live, uh, live worldly. All right, well, another. Anybody else got another worst idea? What was that? Serve food is always at church. That's bad. Okay. Yeah, bad food. That's pretty good. He's, y'all, he's beating y'all. Come on. It's, anybody else got a worst idea? What could we do to to do to get more people to follow Christ? Come on, somebody's got something. One more. Somebody's got one. What are you thinking? Throw out what you're thinking. Bribe them. Bribe them. Anybody else got another one? These masks, I can't hear. Say it one more time. Okay, yeah, don't be afraid. Yeah. Okay. All right, I want you to take just a minute, uh, and let me show you how this works. So when you take the worst idea... What you can typically do is go back and read them, and if you think of the exact opposite, it will give you some insight into some things. So let's just, let's just take, uh, we got one was live worldly. What's the direct opposite of that? There's pretty, pretty good insight there that if we want to attract people to Christ that we need to be an authentic in our faith and live righteously and live godly, right? I like this one, bad food. What would be the opposite of that? Good food. You know what that tells me? That maybe hospitality and the way you treat people and invite people into a place matters. Maybe that goes back to living godly and showing godly characteristics and traits. Uh, oh, don't be their friend. That was one. Maybe when Jesus said, I came to heal the sick, not the well, maybe. Maybe that was what he meant. Maybe when he went to the Pharisees and had dinner at night, maybe being a friend matters. Do you see how this, these insights can work? So let's just for a minute think about, we just said as a believer, the approach is persistence and also uh, doing work to exhaustion. And maybe we could just think not for a long time, but just for a minute, was the opposite of that. And you've seen these people who have professed faith and they are anything but persistent. Have you seen those? They, they come and they go. Um, they're, they're disruptive. Uh, and, and maybe they, they never put their hand to the plow. Let's look at second, the ambition. This is probably a very important one. Um, here and still in verse 7, for the believer, what is the, so we see the approach of doing good. What is the ambition of doing good? 
What does it say they, they seek? Glory, honor, and immortality. This is the why. This is where people get it wrong. This is where the moralist gets it wrong. Because they are doing it good. They are doing good, maybe thinking that's what gets them into heaven, but definitely thinking that's what makes them look good and is socially acceptable, and that's the good thing to do. And so what is the, the, the right ambition? Why? What is the motivation for us to do good? Because actually uh, doing good is not what we're doing to try to get into heaven, to try to, to improve our standing with God. Uh, actually, it is the most grateful response. If you respond to God's kindness and you have repented, and you've accepted that gift of salvation and eternal life, doing good comes out of a heart of gratitude for that. That you come out and you're seeking these things, glory, honor, and immortality, not glory for yourself. We know that's not what he means here. Glory, that word means to possess and to be full of perfect light, to dwell in perfect light, brilliant, splendor, brightness, luster, luster, magnificence. With God, to be full of light, that they seek to be full of light, that they seek to be with God. Honor means to be acknowledged, recognized by God, to be privileged and exalted to a position of responsibility and service to God. This is not a hunger to be in charge. This is not a hunger to be seen or to be recognized or, or a, a, a hunger for, for recognition or adoration for yourself. All these things at the root glory is about being with God. Honor is about just, God, I, I desire to serve you and, and you put me in a place where I can serve you. That is really what I want to do. Immortality is not about, yes, I want to live forever so I can you know, watch football and eat wings and just be forever the rest of my life. Immortality is about, I'm so thankful that you saved me. I want to be with you. I, want, I never want to be apart from you again. I have this strong desire to be with you on in into eternity. We can take those, and he points out pretty well here in verse 8. The opposite of the ambition, and I kind of mentioned it, but he says, but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. So the opposite, ambition self-seeking. You know, ambition can be a good thing if it's motivated for the right reasons. God doesn't say we shouldn't have ambition. Actually, when the Spirit gets a hold of us, there should be fire in our bones to do things. But the motivation behind it is no longer, I can't wait to get my name out there. I can't wait to do this or that. And people know I've done this. It becomes glory, honor, and it's tied to God himself. I want God to get the glory. I want to honor him. And I want to be with him because of what he's done for me. The opposite of that is it's all about me. 
It's all about me. I'm doing good things, but it is all about me. And you know those people. The third thing we see is the award. If you truly desire to be with God forever, then uh, here's what the first thing we see that we get is eternal life. And I don't know what heaven's going to be like. It might be football and wings. I don't know. But yes, it is going to be peace and joy forevermore. It is going to have lots of wonderful things. It is going to be perfect. There's going to be no sadness. But the desire to just have that is not what gets you there. The desire to be with Christ, the the thing that He changed inside of us when we are saved, when we give our life to Him, and He gives us a new heart and a new beginning. We just want to be with Him. But the first thing we see that we get is eternal life. Something people uh, in the uh, across uh, the eras of time have wondered how to live forever can we live forever and we here find the first award the gift the payment that is due for those who believe is eternal life you see the opposite of that is wrath and anger lake of fire we know hell we know hate we know all these things that we are destined for absent the grace of God in chapter 2 verse 9 it says there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil so we find the award for those unbelievers involves trouble and distress sounds exciting but in verse 10 glory honor and peace for everyone who does good first for the Jew So we have here the payment, the award that we will receive is eternal life, glory, honor, and peace. The opposite of those things are wrath and anger, trouble, and distress. So let's let's take those thoughts for just a moment. And uh, this picture came up on my Facebook page. this week, and uh, and I was just thinking about this this passage and what does it really mean. I mean, we've spent a lot of time studying it here and understanding uh, what Paul was trying to say. What does that mean for you and me? What what should I do with it? And this this picture came up, and this is uh, Lacey Puckett. Many of you may have just joined our church in the last year or so, may not know Lacey, but if you've been around the Pikeville community for some time, you'd know Lacey. Uh, he was one of our founding elders here when we started this church, um, and. Uh, and just, just for me, who was a young pastor, young preacher, to have someone with his years of wisdom and experience in the faith uh, and, and business in general, uh, he was someone who spoke uh, encouragement when we, when we went to start this church. And uh, he, he, he really he, he joined us lots of times over at Jenny Wiley before we moved here. Um, but he came, he came by one day. He was really getting down on his health when we were doing construction here, you, if you can see in that picture, that's this, that's this building. He's uh, sitting about right there. You see the stage has nothing on it yet. He's over there somewhere. Uh, but he, he came in and he said a prayer over this place. And I, I, I was just thinking about the perseverance that he had 
that even in his last weeks, months, and days, he wanted to get here to see this place and to say a prayer over it. And, and, I, and I thought about how easy it is right now in 2020 to get distracted. Okay? From something that I believe comes out of this message is an absolute call to action. And that call to action is to get to work. And, and yet we, we, we feel in our, uh, like, everything is pressing against us. I mean, the devil is using this in a battle to cripple us. To get in our minds and say, you know, I just need to stay at home and stay away from people. Which I completely understand. But in that mindset, I don't know about you, but I've been tempted to step back from the good that I could and would and should be doing. And this says that we will work uh, persistently with perseverance. And I just thought about uh, Lacey, and I thought about this wonderful verse for those of us, those of you and many of you, volunteers uh, have given so much, so many hours and time and talent uh, and, and, and treasure uh, to help our church move forward and Faith Life Market to get open and all the ministries we've been a part of for all these years. Uh, and I just want to use this closing moment to say that there will be a payday someday. That we might grow weary. And boy, if 2020 doesn't get you weary, I don't know what will. I don't know if it doesn't get you discouraged. I don't know what will. But if we push through, and we will. And we will continue to do good because we are not of our own power and our own ability. We are part of the body of Christ. We have resurrection power living inside of us. And there's this verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 that says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, in doing good. For in due season we shall reap. You shall reap. At some point, our Father in heaven will say, Well done, my faithful servant. If we recognize our sin and our brokenness and we see God's grace and forgiveness and we respond to that kindness with repentance, then our life becomes full, bubbling up of good things that are about to be done. That's the backbone of Faith Life Ministries is that that verse in Ephesians 2:10 you've heard me say it so many times for we are the we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what good things that he prepared in advance for us to do cuz we are his we are God's handiwork in Christ Jesus because we've given him all right here's what I'm going to ask here's what God's got on my heart here's what he's saying to me Jared it's time to get to work. Building the kingdom. And uh, 
So many of you know I'm in a, a transition at work. My last day is going to be next, uh, officially, next Sunday. November 1st is my last day. Um, one, i gotta got to lay this out here. This is really a message to the believers, but there's a strong message here to the unbeliever. As you read this, that if you've not repented... You also have a payday. And you're going to get according to your works, which we find are never enough to appear righteous before God. But for those of us that are believers this morning, I ask you, I pray that God reinstills inside of you a fire to get to work. A fire to get to work. A fire to say, now is the time. Today is the day. We can't wait a month. We can't wait. Well, maybe 2021, we can get back to doing some things. God, we're here. And we are yours. We are your handiwork. God, I pray this morning that you build a hedge of protection around your people. God, that you place inside of us a connection to you that just puts a fire of strength that brings us back to the good that you have called us to do. God, that we will take on the fear that is being thrown at us, that is all around us. God, that we will take it in stride and, and, and understand it, but that we will not let it cripple us. God, we pray that you continue to grow our faith. We know every tr trouble, every struggle, every trial that we walk through is intended for one thing, is to grow our faith in you. God, I pray you give us the strength, the courage, God, maybe to take the rest of this calendar year and think a little bit about how we protect ourselves and us and our homes and our families and you turn our heart back toward our neighbor. God, and we find where can we serve and where can we do the good things you've placed in us to do. Because we know someday we will stand and give an account. And God will say, you know, we know the gift you've given us. And you will say, what did you do with it? God, we pray you give us the fire in our bones to do what you'd have us to do. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Hey, as part of this message, uh, last year, you remember going into Christ Christmas, we launched our Do For One campaign. You remember that? We did over 100, I think. I can't remember. It was over 100 people we helped last year. And if you weren't here as part of that, this is a, a thing we have on our church website uh, where you can just... Uh, the, the thought is do for one what you can't do for everyone. And so what we want to do is, is bless people uh, that you know, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a coworker. And so, you know, our church puts 10% of everything you all give into an outreach fund. We used that last year. Some people donated extra into that. Uh, and we use that money 
to do everything from buying washing machine for a lady that needed it to gift cards. Just And it's not just people who are in need, and it's not necessarily people who come and ask for themselves. It's people I want you to look at. We want to help you bless your friend and bless your neighbor. And we got such a blessing out of that. It's been up all year long. We've done two or three a month. Um, just And this is an example. This is an example. Just last month, uh, one of our members uh, went to get their their haircut, and um, and uh, and the person that was cutting their hair was just sharing with them that they were struggling, they having having health problems, their family, a husband was out of work, um, and uh, it was just struggling to make make their bills. These people who have always paid their bills, okay. And so God just put it on her heart and said, you need to pay her mortgage. You need to pay her mortgage. And so they put it in a do-for-one. I want this person's mortgage. It was $425. And you all paid her mortgage. She would have never dreamed that someone would pay her mortgage payment one month. These are the things that are not, I'm not going to be your friend. Okay? These are the ways we can show love. You can do good even from home and, and without getting around people. Let's think, let's pray for our neighbor, for the next person. What can we do? And let's do good with the right approach. Let's not grow weary with the right ambition to give God the glory, not ourselves. And we'll know we've got an amazing award called eternal life that's coming our way.